Good afternoon, everyone. It's The Matrix. I'm Justin. I'm Sean. And we have our special guest. Hi, my name's Karen. This is very exciting. <laughs> I also feel like there should be... It's funny because when you do this, you kind of feel you have other podcasts where they'll do a little something and then they'll play the theme song and then they'll come back to the real thing. Yes. But we always do the theme song and then we go into it. So it doesn't yeah. quite work. It would have been perfect to say, hi, I'm Karen, and we would have then go into the theme song. Mm. Mm. Well, I could always do it that way. Well, we'll, we'll see. The listeners will determine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out once we once they actually doodle, hear it. What do they call uh, that? Like a doodle poll? A doodle <laughs> poll. Be like three people. <laughs> we'll do paper, rock, scissors when we're done, and that will determine okay. how we start the podcast for our listeners. Well, today is episode sixty-six, and uh, I made a Star Wars episode three reference before we went uh, started the recording, and both of you looked at me rather strangely. So I won't redo the reference here, but I will just <laughs> quote: "There is a reference for episode three for those of you who will understand." And that's episode three prequel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pre- yeah. yeah the ones that you love. Yeah, my favorite <laughs> Star Wars series. Um, yeah, we're really excited because we have our lovely friend Karen here. And um, she's she's got some stuff on her mind just based on some recent changes that are happening federally. And Justin and I were really intrigued. And uh, so we thought, hey, let's uh, let's discuss and... See where it goes. We're breaking new ground. Yeah. First, at 10 years in, and our first guest on our program. Yay. We'll do a, like a, a pause button after. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny. We've talked about uh, having guests, but we've never had one until now. So yeah. how are you feeling, Karen, right now? Uh, to be honest, well, first of all, honored the <laughs> fact that you guys have not had a guest the past 10 years and I get to be the first one that's 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 an honor thank you so much for having me I have to admit I'm a little bit nervous because some of the things that we're going to be talking about today are quite complicated and Mm. you know throwing this out right now total disclaimer I am no expert in taxes I I'm not an accountant (laughs) I'm not a tax lawyer I don't know you know the the ins and outs of things um maybe as much as uh some other people would in in those fields where that's their expertise um but the reason why um i reached out to both of you and wanted to talk about these things is because i'm a local vancouver doctor um and 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 another disclaimer just to throw out there is i'm just representing my own views i think legally i have to say i'm not representing any of the hospitals that i work for or any of the health authorities um yeah. But I thought it might be important to show some of the uh, some of the healthcare and, and and human consequences of some of uh, these proposed tax changes if they are to go through. Because I know that you know, being someone listening to the news at home, sometimes when people talk about changes in tax, it doesn't really seem that important or or that relevant, or it doesn't actually seem as though it is something that is going to affect everyone right and and i think that this is one of those things that actually once you kind of go beyond the surface you you see how many people it actually will affect and i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it it will affect every canadian to some degree 
Sure, yeah. Um, and I think, too, that there are other concerns that people have about these um, changes that they're going to make with uh, certain um, aspects of the federal taxation, especially um, when it comes to small business, just because of also the the process at which it's been done. Because normal, like these these rules um, that they have governing um, the taxation for small businesses, um, have been in effect, I believe, for you know a number of years. I, I think one of the pieces of um, the literature that I read said that these tax laws have actually been in effect for the past fifty years. Fifty years. And now they want to make these changes to them. And I'm, and again, I'm not against changes. I'm not against tweaking the system to make it better right. for all Canadians. Yeah. But when you want to change, uh, when you want to make such significant changes to taxes on small businesses, and you only allow for a 75 consulta- 75 day consultation period mm-hmm. over the summer. Over it, the summer is yeah, a key point. Exactly. It seems as though, um, you know, they're not really that interested in hearing what everyday Canadians have to say. And they're not really that interested in hearing how this will really affect people. Like, it seems as though this is something that um, I, I think the Liberal government thinks, or at least is trying to phrase it as trying to keep a campaign promise about helping the middle class Canadians mm-hmm. when in fact once you kind of delve a bit deeper and look at some of the proposed legislation there's going to be some things that are actually going to hurt the mm-hmm. middle class and many small business owners right. um, across the board so I think that since it's something that is going to be causing such widespread change for people who own small businesses um, and anyone really who's con- connected to a small business in some sense, having a consultation period of only 75 days over the summer doesn't seem appropriate considering the extent of the changes that will happen. Right. So even just from a process level, looking at any kind of governmental change, it just seems as though 75 days, not any not any real kind of public input aside from you know the emails you can send to their consultation process um, people, um, it, it just seems it, it just seems as I said inappropriate because I just feel like these are big changes and getting more information from you know stakeholders and you really doing this properly and doing this right and taking the time to do it so that it is um, the most fair right. for Canadians I think right. is what a lot of people take issue with yeah. I think the other thing that people take issue with is people who own small businesses you know are not um, I guess something that's been hurtful and something that a lot of small business owners, um, including physicians, because many physicians are incorporated, Mm -hmm. have taken quite personally is just the rhetoric and the language being used by the federal government. Huge, right? And it is just really hurtful because a lot of when if you listen to any of the interviews, you'll hear Justin Trudeau or Bill Morneau use terms like tax cheats, loopholes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is hurting. This is going to go after the one percent. It almost seems as though they're really trying to pit um, different um, parts of Canadian society against each other when that's really not well. First of all, it's not respectful to anyone. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe if the language that the federal government was using would be a little bit more neutral, maybe you could have a, a few more people on board or maybe sure. people would be more willing to work with you or at least feel less personally hurt and attacked. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, a lot of these things that are, these these loop, like even the word loophole, like the, the word loophole insinuates that they're doing something illegal. All of these things right. that small businesses do are technically legal under um, under the law on, on the books. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so it, and so to just call them loopholes and call these people tax cheats when, you know, we're not talking about CEOs of pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about the guy who owns the hot dog stand right? or the mom and pop shop that makes your favorite sushi mm-hmm. or your barber mm-hmm. or, you know, or yeah, or even your doctor or your lawyer, your vet, your dentist, um, you know, your seamstress, like it could be really anyone who owns a small business. So when I think of the top 1%, yes, some of those people might, some of the people that I've mentioned might be considered more wealthy, but it's also the person that runs the faux shop, you know, you know, on Main Street. Yeah. And to call them tax cheats or people using loopholes, you know, it, it just, it, it just really, I think it's just a very, um, it doesn't bring people together. It does. I, I think, I think that's a really great, uh, broad perspective that you've already brought to light. And I think, um, you touch on a few things. One that, that, uh, really hit me right away was the language being used, the almost the condescension, condescension. <laughs> I never good at saying that word. Um, or the arrogance, which always just seem, I think I mentioned to you guys previously is that you know they've rolled out uh, a, a few things in their almost two years of rule the federal liberals where the language just seemed really misplaced mm. um whether it was this current thing or say the uh, democratic reform process yeah. and it just it <clears throat> always just seems like i don't know if they have the right people in their communications that are like okay well you know this is a as you say, 50 years, a new, new changes, modernizing or tweaking, whatever they want to call it. It just seems like, well, they, you know, to do it over the summer and 75 days and they're going to go on all the Sunday talk show, political yeah. shows, yeah. and they're going to, you know, be on the news all the time. They got to be really careful about how they explain it. And, you know, when we first started reading up about it, I, I was kind of really surprised because I, I was seeing the interviews with Finance Minister Morneau or or Prime Minister Trudeau, and I was really surprised by, you know, they would always, they'll say their thing, and then someone will call them out on it, just like you're doing right now, and they'll say, oh, actually, well, that's not what we mean. You know, there's a lot of honest, hardworking (laughs) business people, you know, so I I think that's a really important uh, thing about how it's being rolled out. Pull it back a little bit, just because we're ten minutes in. I don't think we've given a good overview of what exactly we're talking. Obviously, talking about the tax mm, changes yes. uh, for those of you out there listening who might not be in Canada. We're talking about the Canadian context. We're talking about particularly changes to the private corporate. Like the can I forget? It's not. It's not publicly traded companies. It's private companies, right? Yes. So, right. Uh, so it's that tax uh, code. Um, and it was interesting because I, I, I wanted to give an overview, an overview, but I will comment on the, even your language around modernizing the tax code is a, at least a better approach to talking about it than yes. talking about loopholes. And I mean, I have, I could take it either way around the word loophole, but tax cheats for sure is yeah. definitely something where you're like, if you're going to have a reasonable conversation about, mm. and it's funny because taxes can be uh, very dry and boring, but it also it's something everyone pays and everyone yeah. has an effect on so it's actually quite a personal kind of thing and so to use language that is quite personal yeah uh to try to sell it is probably not the best way to do it yes like it, it, it if you're gonna have a reasonable conversation about these tax changes it should be about you know modernization rationalization yeah. and understanding that people will be impacted differently uh 
depending on where they sit within the bracket. This is we're not talking about the tax brackets. We're actually talking about a whole category of how people are running their businesses and their lives, and they run the gamut, like you said, from the person who's running the first shop uh, down the street to. Um, you know, I don't know, some multi-billion dollar private business, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, uh, and so, like, putting everyone together is one thing, right? And I and I think about sort of, like, I'd be curious about if it was the federal NDP who was doing this, who have never been in federal government mm-hmm. or federal power. Because <clears throat> yeah. people often talk about liberal arrogance, right? Yeah. And, I mean, yes, mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau is different in, in, the, in the federal liberal party than other people, but it's still the federal liberal party, which has 50% of the time been in power and the other 50% has been the conservatives or the progressive conservatives. So, so you have people and a political machinery who knows what it means to be, have power and hold on to power that in in of itself can create a bit of a different perspective of how you're talking about these things, right? Mm. Because I mean, they in essence could be talking about tax implications that actually don't impact them, or at least the majority of the people because uh, uh, they might not have businesses at all or they might have, you know, publicly traded companies and all that sort of stuff, right? So it's that what happens when you have a bunch of people in power uh, in government who are impact and making policy changes and things they actually have no clue right. about, right? Right, right. But all that, sorry, that's my comment, but I, going back to the overview, <laughs> uh, it's an election <laughs> promise from the federal liberal party right. from 2015 when they got elected. I don't I can't remember exactly what their vague promise was, but pro- something about, you know, helping the middle class yes, probably yeah. within that, right? And so there are three things from going through the various <laughs> information when you contacted us Karen. It was really great to get some of the information and then to then do my own research and like we all have done. So there's three things. There's uh, for those of you on the podcast who then will we'll link to some stuff too that hopefully explains yeah. it all. Uh, there is a, a, they want to change the tax rate on capital gains. So, uh, so they're not changing the, the corporate tax rate on, on revenue or income for a company, but they're changing the tax, they're proposing changing the tax rate on the money you then have after that, that you want to invest or, uh, squirrel away in an investment or a mutual fund or something or buy land or whatever, Mm -hmm. something that will appreciate in value. So they want to change that tax rate, which right now is the same as if you're a company or as if you're a person. They want to really make changes to the income sprinkling or income splitting piece, uh, which has a lot of effect from my understanding of the readings around people who have family businesses and particularly family businesses who are going to go from one generation to the other. Because Mm -hmm. once you, you, um, uh, well, well, actually, no. That's that's the that's the third piece. That's the that's sort capital of the, gains. That, that's capital gains. It's the cap <laughs> on the capital gain. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. as a as a as a company, the cap is quite high. As an individual, capital gains you can you a certain cap, and then you're okay, okay. Uh, or something like that. So they want to change that so that way, um, uh, it gets capital gains tax covered more often than not when someone's company passes from generation to generation. So that's the, that's the cap piece. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but the income sprinkling is about ma- managing your tax burden by uh, paying uh, family, family members. members' income from the business uh, to sort of lower your, what is your, uh, the tax bracket that you're in, right. uh, company-wise or personal-wise. Uh, and uh, I think they were talking about, I think, limiting, I think it was only, there was an exemption for only, 
for like your underage kids and now they want to do adult kids so if you're over correct that's a big one that's yes. a big one and then the other one was uh, um oh it was oh about uh reasonableness yes like, right yeah so if you're going mm-hmm. to uh, give income to your to a uh, an infant toddler who's probably not actually in the business mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably not a reasonable thing to do, but if you're, you know, if you own the, the corner store down the street and your 10-year-old daughter is, like, you know, helping stock shelves every so right. often, that's probably yeah. a reasonable, reasonable reasonable connection to that business and income, although a minor, is fine, right? So so they're they're trying to do a reasonable test, right? Because right. I think there possibly could be, although, you know, you use the words tax cheats all the time in this context of this dialogue, uh, who knows? I have no sense what the, and no one's really. I don't think I have a feeling no one's ever measured it, right? Mm-hmm. And you see it because you're like, oh well, you, you see it down the street, and you may see this one example, and suddenly it's happening all over the place, which is such a misnomer on lots of topics, right? Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, so those are the three issues at play, from my understanding. Uh, so that's the overview. Just want to make sure everyone kind of had that as we got into the conversation. Yes. But going back into like what we're talking <clears throat> about, like to me, I think it's really interesting about like. Because we could, and, I, and Karen knows and Sean knows, when I looked at the research and all the stuff yesterday, I had all these tax questions, which is, <laughs> which is like, we probably better not go there because none of us are tax experts, but... <laughs> I, I feel like I'm beginning to become one. But... It's true. I feel I've learned a lot about taxes too. But uh, but the the process and the language I find really... This, one of the things I thought was really interesting, like that article we finally found on LinkedIn... Uh, and I was like, kind of, and he was the the person who wrote it was, uh, and we'll link to it too, was fact checking statements from the finance minister mm-hmm. and stuff. Yes, and, mm-hmm. and, love that stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, some of it I agreed with, some of it I'm like, I, like the whole linking it back to like managing our budgets as a federal government. I'm like, I don't want to go there because that's yeah. a whole other conversation. Yeah, which that's I, true. <laughs> that's true. Because I'm like, I mean, we could, we could oft always go there, but uh, but the language, like the way it was, he wrote the, his. It's, of course, it's a blog, right? And in the, even that one from the Moody's or whatever it was that PDF they were talking yes. about, like the ice cream um, like that company. Example. The example was interesting, although it got convoluted once they had the uncle who didn't want to invest or something, and they were mm-hmm. investing in some neighbor's shop. Like that, then it got confusing. But even the language of what seemed to me in my mind like a a, a brief from a, a tax consulting company, the language is very condescending on the other end right like like and so when the government yeah. starts with a condescending it tone invites, yes. it invites the people who disagree which has some legitimate points to then kind of rebuttal in the same reactionary language right. and me not owning a business right and uh but as you as we're going to get into like a lot of people who i engage with whether that's my healthcare provider you know the magazine shop down the street uh, or what have you, like you're going to get lunch uh, at work or something, like all yeah. of this will impact all of those interactions or the people who are interacting that way. Like I would love a measured conversation on this, right? Like what are these things? But you have all the stuff going on that, that in the end are, are much more emotional in context and they're using emotional language. And I'm like, yeah. and it's not, it's kind of emblematic of where discourse is today generally, yes. right? Like everyone's, Everyone doesn't feels like they're not gonna take the time to dig in like we have, but um, of course I wasn't going to, and, the, and and then this happened, and then I'm like, okay, but it reminds me that like, even myself, right? Like, um, 
needs to be patient and go and read and understand. But if you're not going to do that, then all you do is get this emotional dialogue back and forth. Yes. And, and you don't know who to believe because in the end, you, you can have a rational thought and then you put the word Nazi in front of it or something that, that we're doing that. Like then it, it changes everything, right? And, yeah. and uh, it colors the conversation, right? So, uh, so yeah, the process has been, I think, challenging in that respect. And, and I don't know what, I mean, I'm, I'd be curious as to what happens after 75 days of consultation, but it does mm-hmm. seem very short, you know, and I don't know then are the consultations will then uh, impact and influence what are those details, which you, you were, when uh, we were commuting over here, uh, even talking on, on face, Facebook yesterday, it was like, well, that's the thing, that there's not a lot of details. Yes, exactly. And and I'm curious about if those details finally emerge, whether from a 75-day consultation or else other things as well, is there going to be another process, right? Like, mm. But I, I, I haven't followed legislative processes yeah. that, that clearly to know. Exactly. Well, I was thinking maybe you can give us a couple examples of how it affects your industry, uh, like these changes. Um, you mentioned um, some of the things we've already discussed. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, people ha- uh, being a, a doctor or something and with the income sprinkling, maybe it protects their family, dividends and things, or um, not being able to... Uh, it will probably uh, affect doctors in the big cities. I was... Maybe you, can you expand on that about how it would be harder to, say, work overtime or um, keep a practice in the, in the city, like we are in Vancouver, if you wanted to touch on that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can speak to that. And, and basically, um, the reason why I think it, Im- or the, the reason why it does impact healthcare is, as I said earlier, many physicians are incorporated. And so because they're incorporated, they are affected by the same laws. Um, well, they're, they're run as small businesses, basically. Because if you think about when you go to your family doctor's office, right, a lot of people um, don't realize that when they go to see their family doctor, well, the family doctor is paying for the office space. Mm-hmm. They're paying for their secretaries. They're paying for, you know, the nurses that also work there. They're paying for all the overhead, which has to do with, you know, the charting system, the dictation system, the billing system. You have to pay a company to do your billing any office supplies that you have okay. that constantly and office supplies, you know, in medicine are more complicated because, you know, technology is always changing. So mm-hmm. in people's offices needing better ECG machines or sometimes ultra, you know, for obstetricians, they have ultrasound machines to, to check to see how the baby's doing, those kinds of things, right? So basically medicine is one of those areas where you actually need to put, like other small businesses, where you actually have to put money into your business. Sure, okay. And so that's why many physicians are incorporated. Okay. And so basically what that means for a lot of physicians is when they, and we all, uh, we all, if you work in the public system, which most people do, there's a, maybe a few that kind of do a lot of private work, but, you know, most Canadian doctors work within, like we get paid from MSP, which is mm-hmm. the, um, which is from the BC government. Mm-hmm. And basically the money that you make, if you are incorporated, goes to your corporation from the corporation then you uh pay yourself a salary Mm -hmm. out of that 
Now, nothing is, like, we pay taxes on all of this. Like, there is no way to not pay tax. If you do not pay tax, you will go to jail. Like, that's tax evasion. Right. So when the money goes into the corporation, say, you know, I, I'll just pull out a ballpark figure. So say $150,000 is what you, you make from MSP billings that year. So say you pay yourself $100,000 of that as your salary. Now that gets taxed at your personal income. That, that gets taxed as personal income. And there, mm-hmm. as I said, there's no way around that. You would get taxed the federal and the provincial tax on that $100,000 like anyone else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's no way around that. And then <clears throat> the $50,000 that's left in your corporation then is used towards keeping your corporation um, afloat. So right. things like, as I said, you making sure that the office has everything that they need, making sure that you are hiring people to do the appropriate kind of st- um, the staffing that you need um, for your own kind of licenses that you have to keep up every year. Um, and, you know, there there's quite a few for that because you need your medical license. If you're a specialist, you have to kind of renew your specialist license every year. If you're part of any kind of organized organizations or bodies like the doctors of BC or like the BC Medical Association you know that goes towards that money comes from your uh, corporation as well Um, you know if you are upgrading your own knowledge to of course keep up with the constant changes in medicine to provide the best kind of health care that you can to your patients again that money comes out of the corporation so if you are kind of running your corporation legitimately at the end of the day there's not a whole heck of a lot of money left in the corporation but the reason why it's important to doctors especially female doctors which I know there's been a lot of buzz about in the news yeah is because that amount that's left over when all of when you pay for all your stuff is what's you know either you know you keep it in your corporation um and or some people will invest it in something um but like in my case like i'll just use my case like my corporation's two years old so it's a very young corporation we don't have tons of money in there by any means um but it's really really helped me in the sense that um when i had my first daughter mm-hmm. um i didn't have the corporation set up yet okay and there's been a lot of talk about maternity leave do doctors get maternity leave that's been a big question there's you've probably heard contradicting answers and i will tell you what it is in british columbia mm-hmm. so in bc basically doctors do not get maternity leave from the federal government okay however through the Doctors of BC, which was formerly the BC Medical Association. So through our provincial body, what has happened is that, you know, if you are a member of that group, the Doctors of BC, and if you, I believe you have to work a certain number of hours, but I have to double check that piece of it. Mm-hmm. You can get a weekly, um, you can get a weekly amount of up to $1,000 a week or up to 17 weeks okay. during your maternity during your kind of 52 weeks or whatever that you're allowed over your maternity leave. That money though gets deducted if you are also working at that time. So if you're, if you're working, you don't get that full thousand dollars, you might not get anything. So it depends on if if you're working or not at that time. Um, So that being said, you know, you do get that, but I just want to be clear that not every province and territory in Canada has a regulatory body like that. And from my understanding, this maternity leave system or the maternity leave pay that you get from the doctors of BC has not been in place for, you know, like it hasn't been in place for like 50 years or anything like that. It's, Mm -hmm. I I think it's, you know, I I don't want to say exactly how many years because I'm not sure, 
but I, I know that it hasn't been there for like right. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a pooled <clears throat> maternity leave fund, basically. It probably gets funded through the the fees you pay for doctors. Yeah, so it, it, right? yeah, so, so yeah. It, it's funded. It's your maternity pay yeah. that you get is funded by other physicians. Sure, right. Um, so, anyways, when I yeah, so when I had my my first daughter, I was not incorporated, so I was entitled to that seventeen thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. But of course, you pay full taxes on that. So again, <laughs> yeah, there's right. no, it's not tax free money. Right. Um, and then afterwards, that's all I made during that time that I was home. Which for for Isabella, my daughter was nine months, and so you know, thankfully, um, my husband you know, has a, a decent job and, you know, he, but, but nonetheless, it's really, that was a, that was a year where things were quite tight for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously $17,000 for the span of nine months mm-hmm. does not go very far. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, and, and he also took a period of time of parental leave where he was entitled to paternity leave benefits. Um, which are, are not that much to begin with anyways, sure. like $500 a week or something. Um, so it was a, it was a tight year. Um, this time around, you know, in between having my two daughters, I did incorporate. We do have a little bit of money that we've put aside in our corporation. And because of that, you know, during this year that I'm on mat leave, I am able to take, I am taking out some as kind of my salary for the year that will be fully taxed at the appropriate tax bracket of personal taxes. Um, but at least it's allowed me and our family a little bit of flexibility and time to, to spend with my baby. And this time around, I I get to be home for 11 months and, you know, it it allows me to to kind of enjoy a a right that all Canadian women have really is to to have that year at home Mm -hmm. with their child and to maybe uh, and and to not necessarily be as worried about the money as we were the first time around. I mean, by no means we're not living large. We're not making any big purchases. We're not doing any mm. huge trips or anything. It's still quite modest. But at least knowing that there's that little cushion there mm-hmm. that I managed to save because of the corporation, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. At least in our experience this way around. But anyways, I think I took a little bit of a side side step there. No, but, I think um, that's really important context. I think about like. Um, a couple things come to mind about that. One is, you know, uh, when one of the changes is about that income sprinkling and the whole notion about creating sort of an appropriateness test, right? And and I think like, okay, if I'm going to implement something, I'm put my implementation hat on, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to implement this new tax code changes and I actually don't care about the appropriateness of the tax changes holistically to every business but I'm really going to razor sharply focus on creating a some sort of appropriateness test, which I'm assuming would have some sort of auditing process behind it about children and adult children and, and minor children and the appropriateness of actually are they impacting into the business or not. And I'm assuming doctors in the end are not like, I mean, that kind of thing makes a lot of sense for a lot of other businesses, but I'm assuming, I mean, I guess... Maybe Isabella down the road will be answering phones. To be honest, you know who knows. But most, I'm assuming that that's kind of not relevant, right? Yeah. So I would mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. see an appropriateness test at the larger end of of the whole tax changes, right? As opposed to this one small part of it, because right. that would, to me, I think partly, like I don't disagree with some of the changes in theory, depending on the context, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's about the context that's important, right? So I think about so that was one thing that came to mind when you were talking about that because clearly the the story you paint is uh not uncommon 
And so there's got to be a way to think about, well, if, if you're a, a small business owner and you have that context with you, then this is how the code should apply to you, right? And then if you're not and you have these other contexts, then it should apply full force or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's a better sense of appropriateness and implementing appropriateness than, than doing something what they're talking about right now uh, is one thing. And two, I think about like how the tax changes... Uh, because there's a lot, I get it now when you're talking about the, a lot of the voices you hear about uh, uh, women in healthcare in particular, right? Like a lot of the messaging from the CMA and the doctors of BC are very much specifically <clears throat> around that area. And I think that's probably the most vulnerable uh, of the membership of, of people in healthcare of these changing changes. I think there's a lot of other maybe, and I don't want to be, I don't want to play like gender politics or anything, but there's a lot of, you know, men who are in the healthcare field who that's not a pressure i mean they might have a pressure if they have staff who go on maternity leave but then you're figuring that out like you said within the whole system of the business but not themselves as the actual key employee which is what you're talking about right so i think about that's another test of appropriateness not again not to say that you need gendered laws but sometimes you kind of need gendered laws right or at least how you implement it right well i think you're totally right It's, it's not gender politics in terms of laws but like karen said at the beginning these these changes are going to have implicate like real implications tangible implications on people and and yes women who are doctors and i think it's without trying to talk about gender politics but it's also really good to point those things out to just people understand the context i think when the liberals talk about when they're rolling out changes they just they just do it so broadly because yes. the sound bite is only going to capture yeah. helping middle class <laughs> mm-hmm. people who make supposedly uh, under 150k a year, and just making it more fair, and then trying to get rid of tax cheats. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, and you know, like when I first heard about this, I think I heard about it for maybe a day before I saw your concerns. And I thought, whoa, this is this is actually something really uh, going to affect a lot of people, and that's why we're really interested to talk about it, because, you know, Justin and I can talk about a lot of different politics stuff, and it's just the, the story of the day or whatever, but when we're talking about major changes that are going to affect people, and especially after such a long time, um... I, I actually would be really interested, you know, when, when you hear about the finance minister having to make an emergency conference call with his, um, his uh, I guess, like MPs around the country and different, mm. especially in the territories too, it really shows that it's actually a good thing. You know, the other parties, they'll jump on that and say, see, they're all, it's chaos over there. But I actually think it's a good thing when you have people from other communities, say the Okanagan, where they just barely won, I think, the last time. And. And um, uh, people that, I don't know if they're backbenchers or what, but they're saying, you know, yes, this is my party, but these are really strong concerns. Yes. And I, I think that's actually healthy yes. in a democracy. And if there's any positive to come out of this, even though it's hard to say at this point, and we'll see what happens after the consultation, if it's actually listened to people, I think it's the fact that it has created a lot of dialogue and people are able to see how much... Like oh, you're you're a, a small business person or whatever you want to call it or you're incorporated. It's like I think I 
every second person I know might be one of those. I don't even know, you know, I don't really think about it that way, but yeah. it, it's really kind of helped me get an understanding of what, you know, what daily things affect people's lives, you know, because I'm not incorporated. Our band could incorporate, but we'd have to be making a certain amount of money first, you know, on a consistent level yeah. to make, you know, cause we've, we've thought about that. Like we've actually thought about that seriously. <clears throat> right. Um, and then, you know, I've never uh, even heard of income sprinkling or, you know, if, if, if we were incorporated, yeah, damn right. I'd want to, you know, give my wife some dividends or something like, that. you know what I mean? Yeah. Because what if, you know, depends on how much percentage of share she owns in the ice cream company though. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you you couldn't you couldn't give her less no. than fifty percent if she owns fifty percent of the yes. company. I just thought was like, oh my god, I got I got yeah. a headache when I got to that part of the thing. Yes. I was like, wait, what? You know, and when I saw your your comments just about how you know, yes, it it, it affects your situation directly, but then it's the web of how it affects other people because you're you're gonna see patients or others like yourselves and then so that's going to affect their situation or GPs start saying, oh, well, this isn't worth it. I got to start working at a clinic now or out of the hospital directly or, or like full time or something like that. Then obviously, yes, that's going to have big, huge ramifications. I, I, I never would have come to that conclusion on my own. So I don't know. I thought, I thought that that's why it became a really interesting conversation. Well, I think the thing is, you know, again, when we when you hear the sound bites about tax and, you know, wanting to make things more fair on the surface, it sounds really good. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, unless you kind of do the digging and kind of hear a little bit more about what the real consequences are, um, you know, it, it does sound like, oh, well, like, that's nice. Like the government's trying to help the middle class. Um, and I think it's I think. That's why it's only kind of really in the last couple or no, I would say probably in the last month where people have become really upset about this is because before when it was rolled out, people didn't really uh, weren't really clear about the implications or how many people it really affects um, across the board. Um, whereas now I think people are starting to get it more, but back to kind of how, um, it, it impacts healthcare before I went on that whole maternity leave segue is, um, you know, in case there, uh, the face of medicine too has also changed. Like before yeah. when people would think about doctors, they would think about, you know, like that, the, the older distinguished looking gentleman who drives a really <laughs> fancy car. And I'm not saying those don't exist. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, but the face of medicine is changing. Like more than 50% of physicians are female. Um, and many of them are during, are in their reproductive years and will take time off again to raise family, um, for maternity leave and so forth. And, you know, and, and again, kind of to bring it to the income sprinkling, some of these female physicians, because they work so much, they, you know, their, their partners are stay at home moms or stay at home dads who equally contribute to the corporation in the sense that they will do things like bookkeeping, they will do things like, you know, billing. They will do things like, you know, m managing kind of the business and making sure that, you know, you that the the yearly kind of um, discussion with the accountant and the lawyer, like that mm -hmm. all that stuff gets done behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, have income, like, and even the term income sprinkling is funny because they used to call it income splitting, right? And yeah, but income splitting and income sprinkling is actually the same thing, is but it? one sounds more flaky. 
Well, it was interesting that this art, the interview like I fairy heard. dust. I'm sprinkling. That's all I think about. This money on you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, uh, it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like, I mean, it, that could be exactly it, but the, when I was listening to this tax lawyer on this radio CBC interview, he talked about income splitting is the overarching term in which there's a spectrum of, of things you can do, and sprinkling oh, okay. is one of those. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's a, a, a finer part of a bigger umbrella? That's my sense of what they said. And I get, I think sprinkling to me, it sounds more particularly around children. Uh, okay. Income splitting... It's spousal. Is more spousal. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I think about it. So maybe... Yeah. Or maybe they're... Maybe sprinkling and splitting are two options of a bigger way you manage income. as And the managing income is, I guess, the umbrella term. Okay. Maybe. I thought it was just the same thing and one just sounded flakier. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, not an expert in tax, but, but, but yeah, like when I think about, again, our example is, you know, like my husband does my books, right? Okay. He, he is the one who does my billing. He's the one who gets in contact with the lawyer and the accountant. He's the one who makes sure mm. that all of the, um, the, the supplies that I need are ordered. So, you know, he, he legitimately, yeah. you know, should have, like, I guess, we do income splitting or sprinkling or whatever you want to call it, but he legitimately does work yeah. for my corporation. And without that work, like, I don't know how, um, I think it would be really hard to hire someone to do that work because it's every couple of weeks we sit down and we do the billing. It takes maybe like half an hour, an hour. Who am I going to hire that I trust? Who's going to have sign a confidentiality agreement? Mm -hmm you know, to protect patient confidentiality, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that work? Like on the ease yeah, of when you can get, like, if you have a professional you hire, you have to schedule that professionally in. Well, technically you could get those conversations with your husband done whenever you need to. Right. Like yeah. it, it, mm -hmm. that facilitates that too. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. And who else, who else would have the vested interest that it would be done properly? Like you can outsource to a billing company, but if something is done incorrectly, they're not going to have that personal investment in it. Like they're not going to care as much yeah. if someone's, um, cause you know, like if somebody's address is off, then you can't bill for that patient. Right. Like, so it's, it's things uh, like that, that right. have to be quite precise. Sure. Um, and so, you know, that's a way that a lot of people, um, do income sprinkling or income splitting mm -hmm. in, in these professions. But again, I'm, I keep going off. There's so much to talk yeah. about with this that I keep segueing off to what I want to talk about, which is the changes to healthcare. But anyways, Justin... Well, I was going to say, it's interesting because I think, I mean, that will be interesting to, one, find out what the appropriateness test is going to be, which yes. is a detail that isn't there. Yes, that's true. And so I would say, you know, in your context specifically, you'd hope that that would be an appropriate way of doing it. So that's TBD right now? Yeah, they yes, just said they're going to they do an appropriateness test. They don't know what that is going to look like. Is that like. right? Yeah. Wow. I'm assuming it's going to be a form of some kind. <laughs> and whether or what proof you have to provide and attach with the form answers, I don't know, right? So that, that would be interesting. And two, I wonder, because when I hear in, in the interview that I listened to and some of the articles, they're talking specifically about the change being for the uh, children. So my yeah. children who are minors versus children who are adults. Yeah. So I wonder whether or not the splitting like you're describing in your context with spouses is going to stay the same. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's been terribly clear. They've been using a term and they're giving an example of kids. But it'll be, again, interesting once the details come in. Hopefully people are sort of saying, well, in these there's a myriad of stories like what you're describing. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, well, maybe we didn't say it, but we were kind of thinking we put yes. spouses into. 
and this this uproar around legitimate ways in which partners are helping each other in these businesses will leave that off the table, right? So right. it'll be interesting to see what happens there too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this is like you were saying. Like, there's so much that people are alluding to, and mm. I, I I say this to my partner all the time when we're talking about you know the transparency, right? Yeah. And uh, and processes. When you say nothing, people fill in the blank. Yes, right? exactly. And so, uh, even if they said nothing, but actually said, like, you know, right now spouses are off the table. Or, or right now it's only about, but, but they don't really, at least not thinking that I've seen, using those exact words. So, again, it's a silence that people are, with fear and the language that we're talking about, then people just don't know. Mm-hmm. And then they fill in the blanks because they don't trust, right? right. Because in the end as good meaning as there are civil servants in the government and so forth, there's still a lot of mistrust within government generally, right? Um, so it's it's interesting. Anyways, we want to get back um, to the healthcare yes, piece. Yeah, but I, I did just want to comment on what you said, which is when you make, um, yeah, just like with this income sprinkling slash splitting piece of things, I, I think the problem is when the government is making such wide sweeping broad changes yeah. without really consulting with people, there's they, they miss all the yes buts. Yeah. Right. And and obviously income splitting when done legal, you know, legally and correctly, when someone actually legitimately is helping you with your corporation. Technically, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. No. Right. I agree. Like, I agree. And the pro- going into processes and we're getting diverted, but these are the yeah. interesting parts of why we do a podcast. We can go at length about these things. It's like to me, that's where process is really important. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't seen and I mean, what you were sort of saying, part of the consultation was pretty much, you know, email this particular thing. Yes. And, yeah. But like, frankly, I mean, uh, I get it. People like, oh, we don't want to like guide people uh, yeah. to answer a certain way. But often you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if you're asking an email and I don't know what I, what I don't know, I might have a blanket response saying, yay, thank you for, you know, you know, solving this whole tax cheat problem or wait a second like this is going to ruin all of our lives but actually the feedback you really want is very detailed yes and they should actually say we're considering this Mm. and uh we're uh capping income splitting between spouses uh here's a question a about this b like to me that's actual consultation Mm. then you can say oh i never thought about that let Mm. me let me think about that mm-hmm. and then give an answer based on like, so don't skirt around it. Yes. Actually ask the questions. Yes. Right? But not to sound like a pessimist, but I feel like the reason why they're like, that would be the thoughtful, thorough way to do it. I think they're not doing it that way because they don't actually really want people to provide feedback. Like, well, or constructive or helpful feedback. And, and yeah. that's the thing. Cause you, it's hard I, I, not to defend politicians. But they know how every word is dissected. And I'm sure they battle internally about how much they should say, how much they should leave to the people's imagination. Mm. Because a lot of times when they give out too much information at the beginning and they say, oh, yep, this is off the table, that's on the table, people check back and say, well, two months ago, before the consultation started, it's, it's, you said this. So then it's it's harder for them to... Say, you know what, we gave it some more thought and, oh, they should say those things. <laughs> Frankly, <laughs> when they do change their mind, they should make a more practice of that. But they should, they, they, it's harder uh, because it looks like a broken promise, right? Right. So mm-hmm. 
I, I get that in a sense. And there's a number of things at play. Like, I think you're absolutely right around, uh, there's some people who just, they, they have their mind made up. They know what they want to do and they just want to do it. Yeah. And the consultation is just perfunctory to get to the actual what we want to do. Partly it's because of the promises they may have made and, or, or don't, and don't want to break. And the other part of it is, I think, also probably philosophical around just representative government. Yeah. We said we would do this. You voted us in. That's our mandate. Mm-hmm. So we are doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, to me, it speaks to, you know, the 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 pitfalls of representative the way we have government and representative government. I mean, not to say that I know a better alternative. And mm-hmm. and there's something in the middle between, okay, you got in the next five years, do what the fuck you want to do. Sorry, uh, or or uh, going back to the people for every little thing you want to change. Yes. Right. That's so so. You know, nothing's going to be perfect. Yeah. So somewhere in the middle, it's got to go. And yeah. I think some is- issues probably warrant some really fundamental uh, conversations. And we go back to the people. Um, and it's funny, you know, without having this conversation, you sparking us. I, I don't know if I would have put these tax changes in that category because we've all said, oh, well, we're not tax people. We don't know the ins and outs. Yeah. But we live in this tax regime that we have. And so that's still valuable, and you know, and and so it's yeah. interesting. Like, like I, uh, my mind shifts on where whether or not just let them do what they need to do because they said they're going to do this, and we mm-hmm. voted them in versus come back to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And my mind changes on each topic depending on how much I'm engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, if at the beginning I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you get it done, but actually, no, actually, I, I would like to actually have. Because I forgot, right, I have my own company too. I have, I have my own private business uh, because I incorporated 10 years ago. Oh, you do? No, I do. No, no. Because I was doing some surgery off the side of... No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, no, because I was doing a lot of contract work and at a certain point you hit a certain oh, yeah. level and yeah. you need to pay. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. And yes. so, and that's when I wasn't working. I was taking care of my dad and it was just mm-hmm. a bunch of different contracts. Yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't had an, a private business income in six years or seven years, uh, but I still file it in. I have zero income, zero. So yeah. like, it doesn't affect me at the right. moment, but yeah. at any moment I could be in a different situation, yeah. need to reinvigorate that, uh, that part of my life. Right. So yeah. Right. Anyways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so anyways, this is, yeah, this has been great, like, really good discussion here. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about the time, though, so I think I should talk about how it affects healthcare. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at the... Sure, didn't, yeah. you say, didn't you say, Sean, at the beginning of this, Karen, this is going to go by fast. <laughs> and you're right, it, yeah. it has, it has, who knew talking about taxes could, like, could be so engaging. Yeah, I'm curious, you, you had laid out quite yes, a bit yes, uh, about sort of impacts yeah. on healthcare, yes. retiring, doctors yeah. might retire early, and getting into some of that, because you've talked a little bit, the mat leave makes a lot more sense, as you've described that, for sure, and I, I definitely think around sort of the female, male, Demographic change mm-hmm. in healthcare for sure is another piece that we've talked about, um, and I think there's something about said about younger docs too. But like you said, you've only been incorporated for two years, yes, yes. and that's going to impact every doc who's in that early years versus docs who might be in their current regime, and now they're in their year forty or thirty years of practicing, and they have you know squirreled away significant cash. That might be a very different context for them. Uh, 
So I'm curious about sort of the other points, like, like yes. rural, urban yeah. stuff, and the like. The Doctor Sue might decide to retire early or something. Is uh, curious about describing that a bit more. Yeah. So basically, I mean, you know, I think that the reason why a lot of physicians incorporate is, as you've probably seen in your reading. You know, there's a lot of um, things aside from office overhead and managing your your business. There's a lot of things that we don't have covered. So, mm -hmm. for example, we've, we've talked about the maternity leave one in, in a lot of detail now. But things like vacation pay, yep. you know, um, sick leave, uh, your pension, you know, thing, things, you know, basic, basic things like that, you know, like, dis, you know, disability insurance, mm -hmm. all these things that are kind of put into you know and even even on a more kind of trite level even things like paid breaks you know things like that right like uh, uh, things that you know if you have like a, re a regular salaried position things that you are are guaranteed as part of your salary position and as uh, as a small business owner you you don't have those same um, you don't have those same benefits, right? So the other thing is, yeah, like paying for your own like medical and, and dental health care. Um, those things are, are not included in your job. Right. So the reason why a lot of people incorporate is so that they can have some money to help pay for those other expenses. Because otherwise, if you don't incorporate and it, it, it all comes from your personal income, that all, is, you're just paying all of that out of your pocket and mm -hmm. essentially paying for your office out of your pocket mm -hmm. and so forth. And so um, that's why people tend to incorporate. Um, so anyways, the reason why I think it affects a lot of physicians and the reason why it actually really does affect a lot of physicians is because people have their corporations because it helps a kind of sustain the economy by hiring people like nurses, secretaries, all, all those folks that work for any small business. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, it, it is a way to kind of save for the future mm -hmm. and, and to save money. Um, whether you keep the money just in your corporation for a rainy day or whether you decide to invest it in something. And again, because I, I mean, I'm in a little bit of a different boat. My corporation's only two years old. We don't have a lot in there. I have not invested it. It's just there. I'm just using it for my mat leave right now. Um, so again, kind of in a different boat, just starting out. But the point is that in like with people like myself, whose corporation is quite new, mm -hmm. if you if all these tax changes go through, it basically, in essence, not to oversimplify it, but it kind of makes the corporation really not that helpful. Like redundant almost? Yes. Or, yeah. yeah, and it makes the, the amount of return on it very little. Sure. And actually, you might even lose money on it, mm -hmm. it because when you think about the money that you have to pay every year for the accountant to do to do the corporation taxes, the, the fact that you have to pay the lawyer to do the, the, the work on your corporation every year, all, all those things, it kind of makes your corporation, re, like it, it's not actually saving the money that you're hoping to save for your retirement or for whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so what I, what I think is that a lot of... Um, People whose corporations are quite young, if they don't have a lot of money in there, are just going to dissolve their corporation. So wow. the corporation will be gone, right? And in my case, thankfully, I will still have a job and I will still have an income. But think about all the mom and pop shops for, yeah. you know, we have we saw that example that you're going to put um, the 
the link to about that that husband and wife who own that ice cream shop right and at the end they ultimately decide to liquefy their corporation because after all these changes if all of these changes are made to kind of the the full extent of them your corporation's not that profitable people will liquefy it so mm -hmm. that means that you know businesses will close people will lose their jobs we will have we won't have the same kind of growth in our economy um, but from specifically a healthcare perspective, what that means then is everything that I make will be taxed through personal income when I won't, I will no longer have any corporate corporation tax. Okay. So what a lot of people will do in that boat then is they're just going to work less because if I work five days a week and if I'm paying, you know, close to 50% of taxes, oh. if I cut that down to three days a week. Or four days a week, I go to a bracket. lower tax bracket. Oh. I'm still paying a lot of tax. I'll still be paying like thirty-five per, or whatever it is percent of tax. Right, right. But and possibly some of your expenses might go down too yes. because you're not, let's say, running an office five days a week, yes. but three or ah. okay. Okay, was that that okay? I was and, and the okay, thing yeah. is, like a so lot of sense. a lot of people are saying, because like you like medical school is a very long process. You sacrifice a lot of your personal life to do it. Yeah. And once you're there, you work hard because A, I'd like to believe that most physicians either like or still love what they do and mm -hmm. they care about patients. Because let's face it, if you want a quick, like we're talking about the one percenters and trying to like hate on people who make a lot of money. But the truth is medicine is not really a get rich quick scheme. Like if right. you really want to make a lot of money, you could find a lot of like faster ways to do it mm -hmm. than like 20 years of school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For sure. So, so let's just let's just put that out there but um so anyways what i and and i guess the reason why i wasn't quite sure why people weren't making that link is they're not part of a bunch of physician groups that talk about this quite regularly and openly right. but a lot of people have said if this goes through if i have that fifth day would i rather work the fifth day and and pay more in tax and be at that higher tax bracket and pay more or should i just have that day with my kid and Which just is and just extremely valuable. and just be and just be their mom because I have not been there all these years and I deserve a little bit of time with my family you know I guess it, it gets to the point where if these changes go to fruition to their full extent it won't really be that profitable to be billing that much yeah. so people will cut back and it's and as I said I'm I'm planning on doing that but also um you know, I've spoken to some colleagues and I know definitely nationwide, at least 150 other doctors who plan on doing the same thing wow. if this goes through. Wow. So, you know, if I work one less day, that's a whole clinic day of people I'm not seeing. Nice. That might not seem like a lot, but you multiply that by a year. And then oh. you multiply that by at least 150 people. Yeah. So when I say it's going to lead to longer wait times to see a doctor, when I say it's going to lead to longer wait times to have surgeries or medical procedures to see your GP or to even have a GP. Mm -hmm. Well, just that in itself, there's lots of areas we know this. We they, It comes on every election cycle that, you know, they want more GPs in a lot of areas where it's hard to, you know, make it attractive for for doctors to live in certain areas more rural or what have you or places like here in toronto that are just like high cost of yeah. living it's hard to set, get the ground uh get the groundwork laid out and things like that so that's that's a really good point too my my mom used to be an moa and i you know she she was always 
she would speak of how it was it was always challenges with making sure everyone was booked in and, and yeah. things like that. So I, I can totally see that. And I, and I never, again, I never would have thought of that, but it, you just have to do the math. And, and I think, you know, when they're talking to doctors or there's a lot of talk about farmers as well. Yeah. It affects farmers as well, equally yeah. because many farms are small businesses. Right. Yeah. Wow. I just, I just think it's just, it's just fascinating. And, and like you say, you can get into weeds of taxation, but then sometimes you kind of got to get in the weeds a little bit sometimes, yeah. you know? So I think there's some of the things that we've talked about, like pensions is an interesting one because I think at least a lot of people just don't have pensions anyway. So it, it, there's a lot of people in that boat already. I think that there's a role possibly where I think people have solved pensions. Like a lot of people who work in community nonprofits, there's no pensions in those, in those jobs, right? Yeah. But, you know, there are some in, uh, some infrastructure like Doctors of BC. It's called, um, there's a particular similar organization. They do their own collective bargaining as well, where they've been able to create pensions. See, pensions have a lot more to do with the way you accumulate the funds to be able to offer pensions. So individual business owners really up a creek, like a, like mm-hmm. a lot of, because it's mm-hmm. just, there, there's no way to do it individually. Yeah. But if you can have infrastructures to collectively bring people together, so that, so to me, the pensions one is a little bit of a, a different piece. The, the one that I find really interesting is the vacation piece. Because, uh, you know, one of the questions I had for you when I was texting you um, yesterday was like, you know, like there's, uh, it, to me, it, it, it explains the uniqueness of healthcare within what is our economy, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of beauty in our healthcare. I mean, single payer is yeah. a great thing yeah. in that the 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 holisticness of of the 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 for profit marketplace is not there uh, because it's only one payer and that's the government, right? So yeah. it's not like five or six insurance companies buying for your for your your healthcare dollar from various or whatever, right? Like it's right. so that's helpful but it's also not healthcare is not like any other uh, industry quote-unquote right mm-hmm. because like you know if these tax changes are happening at a grocery store or a restaurant technically partly what you could do which is I would only assume one of the arguments within the people who will make these changes or want to make these changes well you just up your price yeah, you know exactly Foe is going to be eight ninety five yeah. instead of seven ninety five, yes. and then over time you recover all of that, yeah. right? Uh, in however you do that, in healthcare no. you can't do that no. because, uh, I mean, unless then if they, I mean, it'd be good to lose the battle now if you're going to lose the battle. So that way, and I don't know how other provinces are doing it, but when you think about the next collective agreement that doctors and BC will have to negotiate with the province, if they at least knew the reality of what the tax regime is going to yeah. be could negotiate with a little bit more information. Yes, right. Because to me, then, that's the only time you can then recover that, is, well, you got to change what... Uh, if you're going to, like, do a flu shot, instead of the, the pit billing MSP... <laughs> I have no idea what the costs are. Instead yeah. of billing MSP 595 for that flu shot, you can actually now bill MSP 750 or something, right? Like, yeah. like that's the only time that doctors and the, and the medical field have to change the pricing on things pricing structure, and that yeah. happens and then that pricing stays for seven eight years depending on how long the yeah. agreement is right yeah. so to me that 
it's very different than what every other small business is going to work on. And then the, and like I said, it was about vacation, but I didn't even talk about vacation. But the vacation piece I find really interesting too because I kept thinking, well, if I'm an employee, that's what you get. You, your salary includes vacation. Yes. But it doesn't work in medicine because if you go on holidays, the whole place shuts down or like your, your whole business because yeah. you're not, you can't bill because you're not there. You're at yeah. Disneyland or something. Yeah. And other companies, like even contractors, myself, like, okay, if I'm going to go on vacation and I don't have to pay myself a salary, but I'm doing it with billable hours, I might work evenings, weekends, get a few more gigs, get that income now so that I can take a month off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can preload your income yeah. to manage your vacation. Mm-hmm. Doctors and uh, people in the health field can't do that because it's very transactional in the moment you deliver. Yeah. And you could get a um, someone who come in who comes in as a, a substitute or locum, right? And but from what I understand, working in in my part of healthcare is usually locums never bring in as much revenue as the actual doctor no. because. And I don't know how locums work. Whether you pay locums a, a salary or they just do their own billing, I'm a bit fuzzy about all that. But the fact that like if I'm going to go on holidays and my patient's going to call my office and say, "Hey, I love to." speak i love to make a point with dr justin and they're like oh yeah he's on holidays but dr sean's here he's great oh when's oh, the doc when's no. dr justin coming back oh two weeks from now uh, i'll just wait no that's, right that's a yeah. really good point and then so that changes the kind of revenue your business is making yes yeah. right and so to me the vacation was the very concrete of like hmm. it just it the content doesn't work in what you're trying to do yeah. right yeah. Anyways, yeah. and and I mean, and just things like sick pay. Like if I if I'm not feeling well or my yeah. daughter's not feeling well and I have to stay home, I don't get paid that day. Like nothing comes in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and just back to your point about um, not being able to pass on. Yeah, because I've heard you know if these changes go through, you can just pass on the um, the, the the difference to the consumer, right. which I think is going to be problematic. I mean, not from from other perspectives because I think that will cause some small businesses to close down sure. because yeah. I think that, that people yeah. will not be will not want to pay right. the extra amount and businesses will close and that yeah. that is a big worry but from a healthcare standpoint I can't do that right because I can't say to my patient okay well now the government's going to pay me this much for this but because of the tax changes you need to pay me another $20 because you just saw me right like nobody would pay you the extra twenty dollars and they would probably complain to the college about you trying to get this extra twenty dollars um not understanding that all of a sudden your financial reality has changed the other thing that just to your point justin is about negotiating with the provincial government um with respect to kind of our fee schedule and how much we get paid for different things that's also another point of contention because um you guys may or may not know this, but in Ontario a few years back, the Liberal Win government um, actually rolled back physician wages 10 to 15% across the board, across all specialty. Amazing. So um, <laughs> that happened in, in Ontario. People, doctors were really mad about it, understandably, because anyone, like if you if you scale back anyone's pay, rich mm-hmm. or poor, no mm-hmm. one's going to like that. No one's mm-hmm. going to be like, yeah, that's great. Um, I've also heard that Alberta is looking at rolling in some of those kinds of changes across the board as well. And so my concern is that if other provinces are doing this Mm -hmm. and having success, and I put that in air quotes because they're saving these healthcare dollars, 
it's only a matter of time before we see that in British Columbia when British Columbia doctors don't even really get paid that much in when we compare it to other provinces and the standard of living here is very high in comparison to other other places and I mean one example of that that has already rolled out is I have a friend who's an ophthalmologist um, he does cataract surgery which is quite complicated it's someone's eye yeah and before they used to be able to build and this was just a change that happened this year before they used to be able to build the government four hundred dollars for a cataract surgery okay mm -hmm. they've now changed it now if you do a cataract surgery according to the government fee code you get forty dollars from four hundred <laughs> <laughs> so what is that like a ninety percent dis like drop yes and so what, what comes to mind is two things, either A, no ophthalmologists are going to want to do cataract surgery, which is a problem because we have an aging society yes. and cataracts yeah. are more common, yeah. or what's going to happen is that ophthalmologists are going to end up having it be kind of like a private pay system where you will now have to pay them the additional 300 and, you know, like, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of like, just guessing but you know obviously those funds have to be recovered somehow sure. but i guess what i'm saying is if it's already happening on, on that spectrum of things i can just imagine the trickle down effect because again the government feels like they're saving money but then that leads to people leaving like that which was one of my points is that doctors will move to other countries where the taxation burden is not so high yeah. and thankfully like a canadian medical graduate like Can the canadian medical um education is, is very respected throughout the world it is actually not that hard to find jobs in other countries of course you have to do their licensing exam and so mm -hmm. forth but there's no shortage of doctors in the united states or mm -hmm. in other countries like the uk or you know australia and and there are headhunters that go around trying to recruit people so you know is it enough to make me want to change countries no but it's enough to make me want to work one less clinic day which is already going to have a trickle down effect and then you have doctors who are nearing their retirement age. So we have people like in their late 50s, early 60s, who maybe wanted to stick it out. We're thinking, I'm going to stick it out another five to 10 years. I like my work. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Because of all this taxation stuff, it's not going to be worth it. It's not really going to be worth it. I, I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to retire now at 58. Right. Wow. So think about all the people in that practice yeah. and then think about the new grads as well. Like we have a lot of medical students, a lot of um, residents. If this is the system, they're not really going to be encouraged to work in big cities mm -hmm. or to work in Canada at all. Right. And then the other thing, too, is there's a lot of things that doctors do, like, at a lower cost or for free, like teaching. Like, I do quite a bit of teaching for the medical school. And oh, that's cool. what's going to end up happening, or what I've heard some colleagues say, is, you know, if this is the way that the system is going to work now, if we're going to have to be scrambling in, in terms of... Um, being able to to bill more um what's going to end up happening is though those things that doctors do kind of at a lower cost or for free are going to fall by we'll the are going to fall by the wayside mm -hmm. like i already know some colleagues that have contacted ubc and basically said you know what i'm really sorry but if these tax changes go through i can't take any more students and that's tricky because the only people that train the doctors of tomorrow are the doctors of today right right so they're not going to magically get this knowledge somewhere else got it yeah um so that's why that's why it affects healthcare, and that's why it matters to me so much because i i do care about you know as much as i talk about you know scaling back 
I think at the end of the day, like a lot of people really do care about their patients. They don't, they don't want, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful things about Canada is our healthcare system and the accessibility of healthcare for all Canadians. And I think anything that erodes that and erodes it, but also calls the people who are providing this service tax cheats and these like horrible names, you know, it just, it, it just, it just really makes me sad for just for all the citizens of Canada, because I already think it's hard enough to have a doctor. I already know the wait list for my clinic is long. Like I, wow. you know, to know these things and to know that this is a step backwards mm-hmm. and that this is going to be hurting some people who maybe need to see be seen urgently, who probably can't wait that extra month now that this is all in place. Like this is going to hurt people. Sure. Yeah. Wow. And it just looks like it's t- changes in tax against yeah. the, against the 1%. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like uh, middle class in general is just such a huge pool of people, you know, when, when I don't even know why governments and things like that, they, they refer to, you know, I guess the 1% and then there's middle class and then there's the poor, I guess, for those unfortunate or less fortunate in a lot of ways. It, it I don't see how if you can just put some sweeping changes through that are supposed to affect such a huge body of people like to me that alone for starters like just foundationally just sounds misguided to me i know that just logistically that might seem the right way to do it but i just don't know why they can't just break it down a little further maybe or or do um stages or different levels or instead of everyone 150k and below or whatever it is, I you know, we hear these different numbers and that's the other thing. You hear a bunch of different numbers and you read different numbers and it's really hard to mm-hmm. understand, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a, a, a philosophical debate that happens with that, right? Like there's the difference and this is where I think it just is, it's really challenging because I, there's people who want to simplify the tax code, right? Versus that, uh, what we've talked about shows that there's so many shades of gray. Mm. And so you actually need a tax code that re- reflects the shades of gray. Yes. Mm. And that's not a simplified tax code. Mm. Right. No. And no. so, so it's, there's competing forces and it depends on, I guess, if you're the decision maker, whether you're the finance minister or the bureaucrats, it kind of depends what your answer is will depend on where you fall in that spectrum. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think there's a lot at play here. Like even like, uh, cause I've heard that, that, the. Um, not, I don't know if it's cataracts, but there's a thing around sort of some search, some fee codes. And I've learned a lot more about fee codes in the work that I do now, and it's been fascinating. And the notion that, you know, fee codes never get lower, rarely. Right. I mean, this is a good example of where it has. Mm-hmm. And partly why it doesn't get, uh, most of the instances, fee codes don't get lower because people just don't like to earn less, right? Yeah. And so it's really hard to lower a fee code. So it's actually kind of odd, a very rare where the fee code really does change. But some, the opposite perspective from, like, I don't know if it's cataract or some other surgery, but I was talking to someone who was not a GP, which is the world that I mostly work with, but some specialist. And they said that uh, the specialist was trying through, uh, through their sort of, I guess, work within FICO changes within the, the infrastructure of Doctors of BC or whatever. And they were saying, like, you know, our surgeries have gotten more complex and we're not getting any more mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And some other surgery, which used to take a half day, which is why the fee code was so high, actually now takes 20 minutes. 
and those feed codes really shouldn't be 400, but should be 40. Mm. And so who knows whether or not that feed code yeah. is, that change is happening for across the board changes right. because we want to lower everyone's salaries yeah. in healthcare or yeah. it's, or those minor changes. So it's, it's, it's so there's a lot of complexity, right? So yeah. uh, to me, I think you have to, in my mind, you have to decide more on a tax code that makes sense within the context you have. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I just really quickly, and I know we're like really over time, this is really <laughs> great. This is a great topic was, um, I'm going to lower the volume right there. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was talking and looking at the clock. At the uh, was, I think what you said is a really good point around like, you know, there's so much going on where a lot of provincial governments want to lower their, their, their budgets. Right. And yeah. so they want to lower healthcare costs, which is, that is the big, that's the big slice pocket. of the pie yeah. in your budget. And to me, it's, again, one of those, I think, really big picture unintended consequences of the federal government is managing these tax codes, but the implications happen at a whole other different level. Yes. Right? So you have the Minister of Health and the Ministry of Health negotiating with their representatives uh, on the, the medical uh, bargaining table, and they're trying to negotiate in all the things that they have to worry about. And they have no control over that tax regime. That's the federal government. So you have you have decision makers who actually don't uh, feel the impacts of the dom- yes. of the sixth seventh domino down yeah, that's down right. the road, right? You... And and yes, you can have the finance minister meeting with provincial finance ministers, and they meet for two days, and they have uh, you know photo ops and stuff. But really, is that that doesn't short circuit a very structural problem mm-hmm. yes. where 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 we were talking about. Because I'm like, oh, I don't. That's not my problem. That's your problem, right? Yeah, like, exactly. you know, and that's actually not a thoughtful way to be if you're going to be actually guiding through these changes. So that that real difference was kind of came out when you were talking about that. So yeah. Anyways. Wow. Wow. I think that was a really spirited discussion. I don't. I. What, what do you guys think? Well, we were worried that yeah. we were going to have to switch it over to like <laughs> U.S. politics or City of Vancouver <clears throat> bylaw changes or. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but we filled up the time. Well, yeah, we did. We did. Oh, there's just one more point I just wanted to Please make do. is that, um, you know, the other thing I forgot to kind of lay in the background of things is sometimes we forget that, especially in healthcare, most new medical graduates have six figure debt from yes. their student loans right. and from their schooling. So it, it is also, I, I think that's the other re- piece of the puzzle as to why a lot of doctors do incorporate because yeah. that is actually what like people are trying to earn this money not so that they can buy yachts mm-hmm. and like you know all this like you know like gold toilets and stuff it's more because they have six figure debt mm-hmm. and if you live in Vancouver most people don't own a house you know like mm-hmm. there's just there's there's just so so many levels to this and i i don't think that that piece is really I don't think the government is really kind of shining a light on the realities that a lot of um, that a lot of physicians face. Um, yeah, that's, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's a really <clears throat> big one. And every time you get new governments, they talk about you know helping young people with student debt, and yeah. that conversation really never. And goes they never very say far. student debt except for doctors. They never. Yeah, really, they, <laughs> they should. They mean actually student debt for everyone, right? And then that, that's a, there's no asterisks there. <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think this was really cool for our first uh, cast with a uh, with a guest, and uh, we were extremely happy to have Karen join us today. Thank you. And and I think you know we can probably 
maybe touch on this again, like after the consultation period mm-hmm. and the uh, um, uh, when things have been kind of ironed out and, and we can see where the chips fall and, and, you know, we can definitely come back to this and always lovely. It would be great to have you back anytime. Oh, thank you. So um, maybe we'll uh, let you guys... close it out. Yeah, sure. I, I, mean, I was <laughs> on the way to that. Sorry, just be a little Captain Obvious there. I was like, why is Justin interrupting him? He's obviously wrapping up here. It's okay. Keeps me on my toes. Um, so uh, yeah, well that that uh, I, I I think that would conclude our our uh, podcast sixty six and um, entering fall of 2017 december is our full 10 year mark so we'll do another one by december i know and uh we'll see what happens with all these issues and um so we are the dot matrix uh you can find us at dotmatrix.com itunes we have our facebook page is there any others i forget i i ask that every time yeah yeah Yeah. that's that's about it right now i think so let's get into things anyway um We'll post up a bunch of links. Uh, Justin took copious notes, so uh, thanks, Karen, for oh, joining us. Thanks, thank you for having me. And oh, I, sorry, one more thing. Go ahead. I forgot to mention the public consultation period ends October second. October second. So we will provide the links to yes, the emails right. that uh, the email address that you can send your concerns to, or please um, email your MP or meet with them and talk to them about your concerns. Perfect. Perfect. That was great. Okay. Well, we'll sign off now. So. Uh, as Justin would say, happy time. Yes. Yes. I don't know why I laughed at that. As he scoffs. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay, we'll take care and peace out.